mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, Welcome back to Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Um, hope you're ready for another exciting episode. Today we'll be discussing um, one of the, if not the most famous presidential speech in history. It is Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. So we'll do a deep dive into Lincoln's Gettysburg Address um, today. And we, by the end of this podcast, you'll be an expert on his message. So... Um, just the basic backgrounds on the address. To understand this, you have to understand Gettysburg. So the Battle of Gettysburg is the largest and deadliest battle of not just the Civil War, but of any war in U.S. military history. So more Americans died on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, which is one battle, than any other battle, not only of the Civil War, but of any war. So there was a lot of death, a lot of destruction at the Battle of Gettysburg. It was a Union victory. General George Meade defeated Robert E. Lee. It was the second and final major battle in the North. After that, July 3rd of 1863, uh, Lee's Confederate Army of Northern Virginia never attacked the Union Army of the Army of the Potomac on Union soil. The rest of the war, they fought a defensive posture, mainly in Virginia. So um, although it was an overwhelming success for the Union, no tactical draw, no, it was a Union victory, Lincoln, after the Battle of Gettysburg, replaces George Meade with Ulysses S. Grant. And the reason he does that is Lincoln believes that if Meade would have pressed his advantage on July 4th, he not only could have won the Battle of Gettysburg, he might have ended the entire war by capturing Robert E. Lee's army. So Gettysburg was a very bloody battle. Over 51,000 Union and Confederate troops were killed at that battle. So as you can imagine, emotions were running high after the Battle of Gettysburg. So what Lincoln does, Lincoln's one of about a dozen speakers. They go back to Gettysburg. They're there on November 19th, 1863. So this is, the battle was fought in July 1st through 3rd, and they go back there that November. So it's about five months after the battle. And, and they've got a little raised platform, they're on a little hill, and what they're there for, the purpose of everybody being there, is they're taking just a small part of that battlefield, and they're dedicating as a national cemetery to those soldiers that fought and died there. So, as you can imagine, this would be similar to 9-11. Um, George Bush going back to ground zero a few months later, emotions are still high. So, 
Lincoln is the keynote speaker. I mean, he's one of the major speakers. Obviously, he's president of the United States, but there's others there. A guy by the name of Edward Everett was the keynote speaker that day. So Lincoln was not the only one that talked. Um, to give you an idea on oratory or speeches in the 19th century, the average speech was about an hour long. Uh, Edward Everett, the keynote speaker, spoke for about two hours. So um, Lincoln's speech, known today as Gettysburg Addressed, was about two minutes long. In fact, it, see, it received kind of a poor reception that day when he gave the speech. And um, mainly the reason for that was many people couldn't hear it and because there's no microphone speakers, and it was so short. They didn't know it was over, so when it came time to clap, it was kind of like a mixed clap because they were expecting him to speak for so long, okay? So, so those are just the basics of the Gettysburg Address, and after this short commercial break, we'll be back to discuss the meat and potatoes, the heart of the Gettysburg Address, and what it means for us today. We'll be right back. Uh, this is a commercial for the Lincoln Boat Lift, one of our many sponsors. So be sure to support the Lincoln Boat Lift Company. Welcome to the Lincoln Boat Lift Company. Be sure to come down to Springfield, Illinois, the home of President Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States and the only president during the American Civil War. Make sure you stop by the Lincoln Boat Company, Abraham Lincoln, with patent number 6469, invented a device to lift boats over shoals, which makes him the only president to ever receive a U.S. patent for an invention. Although his invention was never manufactured, Lincoln did hold that patent, and it was given to him on May 22, 1849, about 12 years before he's president of the United States. So to this day, Abraham Lincoln is the only U.S. president to hold a U.S. patent, and he holds patent number 6469 for a device to lift boats over shoals. So be sure to stop by Springfield, Illinois, and check us out. Welcome back to Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Um, before we get into the heart of the Gettysburg Address, I would like to take this opportunity and have one of my brightest and best students, Jessica Yang. She is going to recite the entire Gettysburg Address, the same one Lincoln delivered on November 19th, 1863. Not a portion of it, not part of it, but the entire address. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this very short address by Jessica Yang, one of my best students. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives so that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot concentrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated here. Far above our poor power to add or detract, the world will little note, nor long remember what we say here. But it can never forget what they did here. 
It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead should not have died in vain, that this nation under God should have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Well done, Jessica. That was an excellent edition of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, well delivered. So when you look at his address, the first part, four score and seven years ago, that a score is 20 years, so that's a smart way of saying 87 years ago. So if you go from 1863 back 87 years, you're at 1776. So that first part is just an obvious reference to Jefferson's Declaration of Independence. What he's saying is, our founders brought forth this new nation conceding liberty that all men are created equal. That's a reference to the Declaration of Independence. Then he talks about the Civil War. He says, we're engaged in a civil war to test whether any nation or this nation can endure. In other words, what he's saying is, is democracy possible? Or do we need a king or a queen? Which was, for centuries, the way it was. So he says, this great conflict is not just testing the nation's soul, it's testing democracy's soul all over the world, not just here. Everybody's watching. And then he gets into the heart of what he's talking about. Okay? Um, he says that they're there to dedicate or consecrate part of this field. Consecrate just means make holy. Part of this field to those that fought and died there five months earlier. And when he says that, he says it's the right thing to do. But then he says, although it's the right thing to do, it's impossible to do. Like, it can't be done. And the reason for that is it's already been done. Those that fought here and died here have already consecrated it already made it holy. There's nothing they can add or subtract to that. So he says, what we should do here is, I'll quote it for you, it is for the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have fought. So what he's saying is, we came here to dedicate this field, which is the right thing to do, but it's not possible because it's already been done by those young men who died here. Instead, what we should be doing is rededicating ourselves back to the effort. In other words, what he means is winning the war. Now, keep in mind, the Civil War at this point is three years and six months old, or over six months. So it's over three and a half years old. A war everybody thought would be over weeks to months is now entering close to four years old. So many people, especially in the North, are sick and tired of war. And not only has this war went on too long, Gettysburg, they just had the highest number of casualties in any single battle. Like a lot of people in the North can't stomach anymore. So a lot of people's opinions have turned against the war. And Lincoln knows this. He hears it. What he's saying, many people in the North are saying, let them go. Just end the war. Who cares? Let the South go. We don't need them. They just want an end to the war and end to the killing. They want their young men returned home. And what Lincoln is saying is, if we do that, if we don't finish the job, then why did all these young men out here pay their ultimate price? Why have your sons, your fathers, your uncles, why have they died in this conflict? What will their death? It'll just be in vain. 
So if you want to honor the fallen, if you want to honor your father, your brother, your uncle, those that have died, the only way we can honor them is by finishing the job. In other words, winning the war. And many people believe that this address applies to much more than civil war. Like, you want to honor the American systems, those that came before us, you do so by finishing the work at hand, whether it be war, whether it be civil rights, no matter what it is. So, so that's why Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is still relevant today. Okay? So if you look at the address itself, I told you earlier that it didn't receive very good marks the next day in the newspaper. Like, they went on and on about Edward Everett's two-hour speech about how great and eloquent it was. But what happens is the genius in Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, it's so short that you're able to print it and reprint it in newspapers all over the United States. So it takes time for the Gettysburg Address, but instead of mentioning, instead of reaching just a few thousand people there like Edward Everett did that day, Lincoln eventually reaches millions of people in the North. So that's the real genius of the Gettysburg Address is its brevity. It's short enough to be printed and reprinted in newspapers and circulated. And it takes time. But Edward Everett later says, Lincoln said more and better in two minutes than what I tried to say in two hours. So that's really what makes the Gettysburg Address enduring is its length. It's able to be printed and reprinted where all the other addresses were much too long to be able to print in the magazine. Okay, so the heart of the Gettysburg Address is preserving the Union and finishing the job, which is win the Civil War. All right, I'm going to leave you with a very popular tune from the Civil War. It's known as the Southern National Anthem. There was no official Southern Anthem, Anthem of the Confederacy, but this song is called Dixie. It was actually written by Daniel Emmett, who is a man from Ohio, not a Southerner, okay? And he later says if he would have known what the song would be used for, he would have never written it in the first place. So he is not a Confederate. Uh, This rendition here is being sung by Ernie Ford. So enjoy of Dixie, the most famous song from the Civil War, sung by Ernie Ford. I'll see you next time at Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Thunders mutter, northern flags and south winds flutter to arms, to arms, to arms, to arms, to arms, in Dixie. Send them back your fierce defiance, stamp upon the cursed alliance, to arms, to arms, to arms, in Dixie. Advance the flag of Dixie, hurrah, hurrah, for Dixie's land we take our stand and live or die for Dixie. To arms, to arms, and conquer peace for Dixie. Fear no danger, shun no labor, lift up rifle, pike and saber to arms, to arms, to arms, in Dixie. Shoulder pressing close to shoulder, let the odds make each heart bolder to arms, to arms, to arms, in Dixie. Advance the flag of Dixie, hurrah, hurrah, for Dixie's land we take our stand and live or die for Dixie. To arms, to arms, to arms.
arms and conquer peace for Dixie. Two arms, two arms, two arms, and conquer peace for Dixie. Swear upon your country's altar never to submit or falter to arms, two arms, two arms, two arms, two arms, in Dixie. Spoilers are defeated till the Lord's work is completed. Two arms, two arms, two arms, in Dixie. Advance the flag of Dixie. Hurrah, hurrah, for Dixie's land we take our stand and live or die for Dixie. Two arms, two arms, and conquer peace for Dixie. Two arms, two arms, and conquer peace for Dixie.